the name. And my goodness, it's gone way down to Swansea. Finishes off in style. I was, I was sat in the cabinet room and I was like hosting me on me. The big man, the fridge is open. He's flown like a gazelle. What can Chris Gale do? He goes low. Oh, you rat. You've got a man beside you. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Hi there and welcome to The Wrongan. India have defeated England 3-1. Bish, bash, bosh. Really, really easy in the end. Here to chew through everything that the series has got to offer is Ollie Gordon. Hello, Bertie. Satch Agawal. Hello. And journalist at The Cricketer and friend of the show, Nick Friend. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bertie. Ollie, just to get us straight off the bat, how did it feel snatching the hot seat from me last Friday like some sort of tin pot coup? It's not lasted long, has it? No, I uh, I did really enjoy it. And then within about two minutes, as everyone who's listened to the show will know, you decided to chime in and take the hosting responsibility off me before giving it back again. So it was uh, a topsy-turvy ride to start with. And then uh, an almighty high, to be honest. I loved it. Turned out quite a lot of people listened, which I can only assume means that there are uh, one of us is the better host. But I'll leave that to you. And, uh, and now, yeah, I've been sacked off again and I'm back on the cold seat. The thing is, people really underestimate the the groundwork that goes into building those first few tens of fans. And then when <laughs> Gordon comes in and that expands by another ten, all the work of the uh, of the previous host is forgotten. It'll be like if Good Morning Britain continued to get higher ratings after Morgan's left. Really, really, Morgan's done the hard yards of building that network. Which one's the Morgan out of you two, then? You, you can decide. Oh, I, I'm probably <laughs> the Morgan, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I'll be I'm in agreement. But yeah, we are now into the top ten of the Apple Podcast UK cricket charts, uh, storming the barricades of TMS before we know it. I think we're actually... I don't. I, TMS, well, I mean, no surprise that TMS isn't in there, given that they're not actually broadcasting presently are they given that it's on talk sport but uh but we're added tms swatted them out the way on to the next i am the better aggers as well i'd just like to point that out <laughs> we've got our own our own aggers uh nick you've not really had much to say uh, how are you uh, how are you getting on at this moment in time i am recovering recovering my sleep pattern um after well how many months have it been a month and a bit um yeah of sort of what very long days very short nights um it's been nice to have live cricket i guess hasn't it um and and nice to have some some stuffing and a good act coming up as well nick you've been up for the for the women's series haven't you over in new zealand i have do you find, yes do you find do you find it hard being up when you've got no one to, to speak to this sounds like such a sad question when you've got no one I, it's part of my enjoyment of watching the cricket is like bouncing my ideas or, or my thoughts off other people when you're there in like the dead of night with Alex Hartley on the T Sport for company how are you or are you just talking to yourself are you sending sort of I, messages I'm to your laptop very, <laughs> I'm very wary <laughs> of reading back what I've written at night during the day if that makes sense what, I'm always sorry. Like I know it. I, I know. <laughs> I wish. I know it's fine, but I'm always a bit nervous. Um, no, the the women's series is great because um, Matt Smith was in charge as well. And I've sort of until this last couple of years on BT Sport, I've only ever seen Matt Smith in sort of a a Champions League Robbie Earl environment kind of thing. It's it's been it was almost quite comforting, but also 
sort of felt like it was missing like prime Roy Mackay's Bayern Munich, if you know what I mean. It was, um, <laughs> but no, I enjoy it. I, I write my best stuff at one in the morning. I don't know why. I think it's because there is no distraction. Mm. But um, you've got to be so disciplined in the positions you take up on the sofa, if that makes sense. <laughs> for one of them. So to speak. Yeah, just, I'm, I'm very, I've always been very scared of suddenly waking up and having missed an entire 50 year game. <laughs> Um, but you know it's yet to happen I have alarms running through the night um, yeah and so so far so good he says touching wood and from perspective quite a, quite a good series to watch probably better than this uh, India series yeah no they were very good I mean it was and especially given that they'd not played cricket for mm. what for months in New Zealand were mid-series um, you certainly couldn't tell which team had come from the depths of sort of this all this awful winter um yeah they played well they were they were very good and a year out for the world cup it was pretty important that they were so uh let's cut straight to the rust and chase nick why did england lose why did england lose i think england lost for the same reason that most teams lose in india which is that they're very good at home um and if you're being brutally honest about it they've got in so obviously Kohli had a very quiet series, but but if you take guys like Kohli, Pujara, Rohit, and then take guys like or someone like Ashwin, certainly you've got guys who are perhaps the best, well, among the best of their generation in these conditions. I mean, Ashwin, and obviously we've got Murali has got what double the Test wickets. But if you're looking for a sort of traditional finger spinner, um, you know, England, these England batsmen are not the first ones to struggle against it. Like, um, like, and if you're being I thought England did very well to win the first test. And I, obviously people say, if you'd offer them 3-1, they'd have taken it. Of course they wouldn't because they're, they're professional athletes. But I, I I don't think losing 3-1 in India makes you a bad cricket team. Um, if anything, it just sort of chucks to in with the rest of the crowd over the last decade. I, I think personally, Nick, I, 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 you could argue that 3-1 is almost an overachievement. You can't win half a test. So... You know, winning one test is a bit of an overachievement, and winning no test probably could have been par for the course for England. I think my cynical, the cynical part of me thinks that if England hadn't won the first test, you might have seen a more even series because perhaps the surfaces for the remaining three might not have been quite so, let's say, result orientated. But, um, but I thought, I mean, if that is the case, I don't know if it is. If that is the case, it's a real sort of tip of the hat to the way that England plays their cricket in the first test. And I think it's very easy to forget. It's very easy to say this England team's lost its way or this England team doesn't have to bat or but actually, you know, England under Silver would have been very big on four hundred in the first innings, bat long, bat time. This isn't a team that's rocked up without a plan. It was a team that came up came with a plan that ultimately in pretty alien conditions to a lot of these younger guys just struggled to execute it in the end. But I don't but I think they're a team with a pretty decent idea of where they're going. Um as they showed in Sri Lanka and what you touched on there, Nick, is something that Ben talked about, Ben Jones from Crickvis talked about, is that England winning that first test is probably just about the worst thing that could have happened for the narrative of the series. And certainly the way they won it as well. I mean, take, take frankly, take the mick for the first two days, getting almost yeah. almost getting to 600, um, and then doing what they hadn't done in 2016, which was responding by bowling India out cheaply, or mm. relatively cheaply. Yeah. It was England's, I think, and frankly, if you're an away team that rocks up, against the home team in a four-test series and you do that in the first test and the home team needs to win three games to, to qualify for the World Test Championship final, then, of course, you're going to anticipate what comes next. And I don't think... I didn't have a particular problem with the pitches. I 
didn't think um and if i'm being brutally honest like percentage wise i think india was probably still favorites to win that series 3-1 even before a ball had been bowled in that second test because they are because they've lost two games in a decade at home you know they've not yeah. lost at home in a series since england did it last time and if you think of how if you think of what england's side was last time around and how good they were and I mean, that was arguably, arguably England's greatest ever test side, wasn't it? And arguably one of the greatest ever test achievements. And even then, they won 2-1 and had to play out their skins. Cook, Peterson, Panasar, Swan, Anderson. So many guys had, you know, world-class series and you win 2-1. It's it's bloody hard to win out there. And, and I think England did very well in the first test and perhaps did more like what we expected, even if it was sort of slightly extreme in, in the second, third and fourth. I think it is fair to sort of have a look at those at those final three tests, and obviously England, England, they were a team with 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 a plan. I mean, you're not going to get many teams that do a tour to India without any any sort of plan. I think it's fair to be slightly disappointed, don't you think, about how obviously in the second test was all a bit mad and England don't pass 200 and then in the third test it's all a bit mad and England don't pass 200 and then in the fourth test. England past 200 by five runs and then the next innings get 135. Uh, where was the sort of dynamic lack of a process of learning from what was going wrong, do you think? And and what why, why do you guys reckon they consistently seem to hit the same hurdles going forward? I think, I think you're right. That you could certainly be... I think you've got... Yeah, that's right. I think you're right. You could be disappointed and understanding I think that's that's my balance rather than just I certainly wouldn't say chuck the rest of the series away like as you say they there was never really much learning going on and I think what disappointed me the most especially given how a lot of these younger lads have played until this series is that they kept on getting out the same way whereas something so take Dom Sibley for example for me his best quality since he made his debut in uh, wherever it was, my mind's gone blank. Um, in New Zealand last time, in New Zealand in 2019, I think, um, was he's learned. And every time he's come up, you know, every time he's faced a problem, he's solved that problem. Every time he's, you know, come up, he's faced a bowler who's got his, who's got his number, he's found a way around it. This was the first time when he, that, that didn't really seem to happen. And I have the same for Ollie Pope against Ashwin, um, who, to be fair, got him with some absolute beauties. Um, and likewise, I guess someone who did try and change it was Jack, was Zach Crawley, who was what well, he was out prodding, but then he was out caught mid on, and then you know it's sort of damn if you do, damn if you don't. I mean, I'd, so I I, th- I sympathise them because you could see that they were trying, <laughs> but it just wasn't working. I mean, we, we might come on to this a bit more in a bit more depth later on, but you mentioned there that Sibley throughout his career he's always learned, but. To tie in with maybe further structural issues in England, do you reckon this is the first time that Sibley and the other England batsmen have had to learn against world-class spin? You know, in in the past, they, they, since a lot of these young guys debuted, it's not been spin they've had to adjust against. This is the first time it has been spin, and you know, do they have the minerals to do that? That 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 is a question mm. that I think is quite a legitimate. One. I think I think you can turn it around as well. So in that in that first test when Sibley got eighty-eight, batted all day on a frankly on a flat one against still against plenty of spin but spin doing you know less than spin exactly nothing and spin much more much i guess much more like like his face in the past india to, i mean to, to india's credit as well they certainly adjusted their plans 
you know, he went to go from 88 looking pretty untroubled and being an in-swing York away from probably coming back the next day and scoring a ton. To go from that to not really scoring, you know, getting another score. Like he was, you can credit them as well. Certainly Ashwin, once, you know, once he was on the pitches that that, that suit him and, and certainly Axar as well. I mean, I, um, yeah, of course, that will always be an issue for England with the way that these, with the way the sub is structured, um, with the way the rebel, the rebel sub is structured anyway. And, the way the pitches are and the way that uh, in a results game you throw the ball to a seamer because he's more likely to nick someone off. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's not just how the players sort of perform in the series. There's always a lot of build-up to series and how teams set themselves up for different conditions. Ollie, do you think it's fair to say that rather than just looking at how England's batsmen kind of struggled to bat in India and maybe didn't pick up stuff over the course of the series, that they were just shown to just have come up completely short in Indian conditions full stop, that they weren't prepared properly for those conditions. And that's and that's why the top three hardly got two beans to rub together. <laughs> yeah, I think the whole, the whole preparation... <laughs> well put. I think the whole preparation question is a, a really interesting one, isn't it? Because with the schedule of cricket, both red ball and white ball being the way that it is, there's very little scope for these England players to really get their mind in around the fact that, you know, in two months they're going to be play, or facing India because at that time they're they're playing someone else in completely alien conditions or completely different conditions, I should, I should say. So their only real hope is to try and learn on the job. There's not, and I, I've had this discussion with you before, Satch, why are we not sending maybe our young prodigious talent out to learn how to play spin in, in India? But then if you're doing that for all conditions, you've got to be sending your players out to Australia and out to South Africa and out to New Zealand. I know that's sort of what the England Lions is, is for. It's there to give people experience. But given that the scheduling is how it is, you've got to sort of thrust people into the limelight and hope they learn from that. Would you Would you say, Nick? I think so, yeah. And they... To be fair, they've they've since Mo Bobak came in and beforehand as well. They've they've been very good at that. I mean, they won in the Lions won in Australia last year, um, went unbeaten with Lockhart and Clint. Um, a few of the batsmen went to Mumbai earlier that winter. A few of the spinners were in Mumbai that winter. They do do it. Um, I, on the scheduling, I think the hardest thing this time round, and this is something that's been said, frankly, since the first test at the Aegis Bowl against West Indies. Was that ultimately England awake England were turning up for the fourth test at the same ground that they were murdered at in the third test. You know, with no with no scopes to, you know, that and all their practice took place out in the middle on that pitch. There's no there is no scope to get away from that. And when you've been decimated as they were in the day in the pink ball game, you know, you sort of immediately feared for what might happen in the last one because you can do all the technical work you you know you want, but actually, a week later it's Groundhog Day. You've got those orange seats around you. You've got fans there. You've got Ashwin on a very similar surface, you know, and you and and you're in a hiding to nothing in a way, aren't you? So, the preparation. But equally, people said the preparation was great because they've been in Sri Lanka and they won in Sri Lanka. So yeah. actually, the preparation was great in the sense that yes, they played a lot of spin, and then they won. Then they won that first test. But I think touring in these times, especially. And and this yeah is is hard once you get on a losing streak because you can't have a day off and go and visit a you know some cultural sanctuary and have a day away from cricket. It's all you know sort of 
compressed into this into this weird environment. I just want to throw a hypothetical out there for you, lads. Let's say the ECB turn around and think, do you know what? We've had another hide in, in India again. We don't want to do this again. Our 10-year plan now is let's try and make a win in India our priority. You know, the same way that the Ashes is a priority. What would you guys do or what would you expect the ECB to do to make that happen? Or do you think the ECB just admit that India going to India is too much of a mountain to climb for England unless you've got an all-time great test team? I think there's several things you've almost got to take into account. We've 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 said throughout the series that a series in India is unlike any test series that you'll get over the course of four years, both in terms of the consistent quality of the opposition and just the style of cricket that has to be has to be played there. It's different to Sri Lanka, it's different to Pakistan. And mm. there are an awful lot of plates for the ECB to spin. Now whether, for example, England cricket is actually teed up at all to play in it play in India as it is is a, is a, is a very worthy question I mean we've discussed about the fact that for example uh, Don Bess was generally the player who England threw all their eggs into that basket in my eyes I might be wrong here but in a way to make it to try and turn him into a Nathan Lyon-esque spinner who can turn an end when they go to an Australia and then when they've gone to India, it's all seemed a little bit all over the place with the spin. That's just one hypothetical example. But there's so much that in the ECB would have to do in order for it all to come together to win a series in India, or if that's or what are your preparation builds towards? Like you said, it, it's about players playing in India in first-class games, in Lions games. It's it's playing other players. Remember, for example, in the case of spin you're going to have to play two, maybe three spinners in India when really there's only ever going to be one general spinner spot in the England side, particularly when you play in England, but also when you play in Australia. There's so many different aspects that the ECB would have to bring together in order to get it all to work. And But it's such an enormous mountain to climb that in a way it might just not be worth it. And, and that, that might be a slightly defeatist attitude to have, but India have lost three is it now three test matches in the past decade at home including the one that that joe root gave them earlier in the series it almost might just not be worth it and in four years time we might be having the same conversation even if they teed all the resources towards it i think what england can do differently and joe root touched this at the end of the series actually was you can't get your own house nord and maybe that's a bit strong but there are things in the english game they could do that doesn't that don't involve you know, getting an overseas, you know, getting a player involved in a Ranji Trophy match, and as as the county championship has allowed Pujara, Ashwin, Axel Patel a couple of years ago as well. I mean, they there are things they can do, and Joe Root touched on make everywhere um, Somerset. Well, the thing is, not even not even, that, not even that extreme, but <laughs> not even that extreme, but but you know, on that on that level, I mean, at least encouraging that. And you know, I'm I'm not big on the. Uh, to be honest, I'm not massive on the um, on the Somerset debate, but I, I don't. But I mean, could you, you know, can you have a could you have a healthier spin situation on the subcontinent if you weren't taking docking docking points for mm-hmm. for producing extreme spinning pitches? Yes, but equally, I think there is all. I think there is also a risk with a pitch like with, with a real raging turn that actually, and I speak as someone who grew up bowling, grew up bowling spins, so I got the ips, which is that. <laughs> Um, if you are put, it's, it, 
you can get rid of an unfair test, I think, if you if you do just play on raging turners all the time. Because actually, as soon as you land it, you're expecting results. But if you're getting results from just landing it, what happens when you rock up on a flat one? Mm-hmm. You know, then then you're pretty limited. And so it works both ways. And there's also, of course, a massive pr- where it where it would help is there's a massive pressure on bowling on a raging turner as a spinner. I thought Jack Leach was brilliant in in, mm-hmm. in that series actually. And for and that's one of the reasons we've seen Leach do the holding job pretty well for England in the past. But actually to be throwing the ball and to be the guy that gets Pujara over and over again, that I can't remember being taken down once on that panther sort in the first game. Um, and I think that's massively to his credit, because actually when you're given those pitches, I think the hardest thing to do as a spinner is to to live up to the hype. But then equally, when you turn it the other way around, you have to have the game to be able to hold. So that's the balancing that I have to find. It's the big question for cricket boards in general in the in the 21st century isn't it it's it's unlike any other sport if you're the fa and you're trying to manage england's project progress as we've seen over the past decade with the football team they get the youth set up in order they get some decent coaches they get a good training ground they get a common through thread of philosophy for all the sides and then that pitches in southgate's side as we saw in 2018 in russia with cricket there can't be any other sport where the cricket boards and managing bodies have so many plates that they have to spin and so many potential priorities. It might be it might be winning abroad in Australia, winning abroad in India, winning the T20, uh, T20 World Cup or being the best in the world at ODIs and also winning test matches at home. And the the side the, the boards which have the most resources are going to be better at doing that and the most players to be able to do that. But... As it stands, England don't look particularly multifaceted in a lot of the areas they've been operating in. They've potentially improved. We saw under Bayliss that one the one-day setup was absolutely world-class and the test side almost went to sort of a little bit of a little bit as a consequence of, of this big focus on ODIs and T20s. Whether England can bridge all the gaps under Silverwood as well as being a good side at home, a decent side in South Africa, Sri Lanka, West Indies, but also be able to go to Australia and India. That's 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 a big, big task. And it's going to require a whole lot of management that you wouldn't previously have sort of considered, I don't think. But I think to play devil's advocate there, you're, what you're describing there is every team ever. You know, possibly buying that great Australian team, the great West Indian team. When India came to England a couple of years ago and got rolled, no one turns around and goes, "Well, Pujari, shit, he can't play swing ball," or you know, or anything like that. We don't, you know, when England have historically played Ashwin or Wright at home, we don't go, "Well, he's just a nothing off spinner." You know, when Warner can't get around the Ashes series but averages sixty-five back in Australia, like there is still a. I, I think, think this is where I think it's sometimes as- less to do with the odd individual player and more to do with the fact that the. The formats themselves have evolved in a manner that T20 is... Mm. Like, it, T20 in 2005 is very different to T20 in 2021. And equally, ODIs in 2021 are far different to what they were in 2015 even. So, okay, there's the, the advantage of having different players for different formats. Potentially, players are more in their particular wheelhouse than they ever were before. But I think there's a lot that boards have to consider. And in the case of England going abroad to India it's uh, it's hard but that doesn't mean that England haven't necessarily set up ideally I have a little bit of a focus on 
England individual players because cricket is a is a team sport of individuals who do their own thing. The good, the okay, and the ugly. Let's start off with the good. Uh, which players have can come out of of this series with their with their heads really held high, Ollie? Uh, Anderson. Do you want me to just list these uh, players? Anderson. <laughs> Anderson. Uh, yes. I think out of the winter generally, I, I don't think you can differentiate too much from Sri Lanka and India. Um, I think obviously Anderson proved his worth. I think Stokes and Root at different points, although Root had a disappointing last couple of tests, proved how how good he is. It's obvious statements. Um, I think I think Dan Lawrence actually in that last test. I know Nick referenced Sibley being able to learn about all his own game and sort of learn on the job. I thought Lawrence proved that he has a bit bit about him. I suppose is your, yeah. the cliche that you'd use and being able to to adapt to the circumstance in front of him and uh folks and leech i'd say were the other two that that really did perform quite well leech as you say as nick said playing that holding role in his in his previous series and then proving that he can do it on a, on a turning pitch when it needs to be a, a match winner they're two very contrasting jobs really for for a spinner even though it's, he's doing the same same thing effectively and folks obviously kept uh very very well it's a good keeper <laughs> I'd add on, add on Lawrence that he was roy royally shafted at the start of the Indy series. Mm. A kid who's a he's a very good player of spin, very good player. You don't average, you don't score the runs he scored at Chelmsford in the last couple of years without being a very good player of spin. Um, granted, he's not had to face harm, but and he showed he was a very good player of spin on debut in Sri Lanka to mm. then be asked about it three against India. And I don't necessarily think Pope should have been asked to do it because I don't think Pope's number three either. But to to ask Lawrence to do that job with as someone who was pretty leg side dominant, pretty bottom hand dominant, potentially in second ball of the match, with Bumra running in angly into a right hander anyway, was was pretty was pretty brutal. And it's not what he signed up for. And it's not what he was not what he was told he was signing up for when they went to Sri Lanka. So I was really pleased that he got to go not at seven, but I was pleased that he got to go in the middle in the middle order where he could come in and be very good against spin, which is which is the player he, he is. How much do you hear as well about how you know, we've got to keep Pope at six because we're priming him for, you know, later on in his career because of the the prospect that he is and maybe later down or later down the line for him, he can move to three. Yet, you know, you're going to throw Lawrence in at the deep end. It sort of stinks of hypocrisy a bit that you're going to, you know, protect one of the, your prospects. And Yeah, I, to an extent. I mean, I agree. I, I, I don't think Pope's a number three. I don't think he will be a number three. I think he's a very good mid-order player. I think the Ian Bell comparisons are a bit silly. I don't even, maybe, maybe an unpopular view, I don't even think their cover drive looks similar. Like, <laughs> I, I, they're two the very good... <laughs> they're two very good players. They were, obviously, Bell was great, obviously. And Pope will be as well, and he's, and he's, and he's already with his first-class record. But I, I don't have much of a problem with... I really don't have much of a problem with Pope staying at six. Yes, it wasn't ideal in the circumstance that they ended up with, but... I, I struggle to see what long-term gain they'd have got out of putting him up there because I, I don't... I actually... I personally think the reason they're batting him at six is because they see him as someone that's going to bat at number five or six, mm. which, while they've got Stokes, Stokes, while they've got Stokes at five, is actually a pretty reasonable thing to do because they're keeping him back at seven and then... And then, um, obviously, unless you've got Joss, and then it sort of moves around a bit as well if Joss wants to bat in the top five. But, but yeah, I mean, the, what clearly stood out is that they don't have a number... A, a set number three right now. That was, I think, well, again, pretty evident. Well, they didn't seem to have a set anything, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> to see, it seemed to be very much the case that if you didn't lose, uh, if you didn't lose both your openers, then you were going to lose the uh, lose the number three. Uh, on the OK front, the ones which have sort of 
probably come out with no damage done. I mean, Broad only bowled 26 overs. Archer only about 30 in the series. It's, it's, it was sort of a bit of a pointless series for the two of them in some ways in the end. Uh, Crawley, two matches. Only, he did manage to get a very useful 50 in one of those. I don't think he's had any real damage done, particularly given the fact that he was promoted to be an opener. And that's that's not where he's ultimately probably going to be. Uh, into the sort of the uh, the ugly as we've described it. I mean, I feel a bit. I don't. I don't quite like to describe Sibley Burns, Pope Best, or Bess as as the ugly lot. Uh, but they've not really come away with their stocks any higher. Probably a reasonable amount lower. Uh, focusing on Bairstow, first of all, come back into the test test side and scored a grand total of twenty eight runs, high score twenty eight, three ducks. Where does where does he go from here in this England side? Because he seemed to have been really well geared up from the Sri Lanka series, but then he comes back in in on paper one of England's best players of spin and and falls at the first hurdle literally in three of those innings. Where, where does he go into the English summer? I mean, it can't have helped the fact that he was sent home when you're probably in the peak form. Uh, I think that comes into it and that will obviously be a discussion to that we can stew over in in sort of selection and rotation uh, factor. I think on a couple of occasions he was out in manners which I don't think uh, covered him in glory but weren't necessarily the wrong shots, i.e. when he swept, was he bold sweeping, OBW sweeping? Um, Go away with that one. That one was, he won that one on review, didn't he? That was the one that he reviewed. Well, like, and, and had he got out in that situation, then people would be, you know, why are you sweeping it first shot? But I actually don't, well, we know because we've seen Joe Root that sweeping's not a bad option against spin. There's something within me and I can't really articulate it very well. And I think it is the fact that he can on his day, which doesn't seem to come around very often, be a very good player and be a, and be a match winner. And I think you give those match winners, as, as Ben Jones has said in one of his articles, the a greater sort of leniency as to, as to their performances. So. I don't think I necessarily come away saying he is definitely not in the test fold anymore because he's got something to offer. And I think England contributed to his downfall, rightly or wrongly, with the whole rotation debate by sending him home when he's in form to not play cricket for a month and then come back and play against India. To be honest, I, I think Johnny Bairstow's given a longer rope than he should be off the back of his white ball form, given the fact that he's in it incredible white ball batsman and he mm. was a good test batsman but it's I, I, I personally think from the outside looking in that contributes a fair amount I, I also while while we got brought uh, sorry Sibley Burns and Crawley I didn't really see where he fits into the team to be honest because you'd have to think he's a number three now would you say Nick with with Laurel, with Pope Stokes Butler um, I mean, he's, if he's going to get in anywhere would you would you say now that that's his yeah, position that he's got to make think, his own I think number three, yes and no. I mean, yes, I think you're right, but no, I can't see how Johnny Bairstow against a brand new ball at number three in, in, in England is a good idea. I mean, I, I do feel from there was a John Lee wrote a good piece about it a couple of days ago, um, sort of documenting or highlighting the uh, the arrival of Butler under Ed Smith into that side as, as possibly a sort of signing doors moment where. Bearstow became the slightly expendable one where Joss was either, you know, playing as a specialist batter at seven at times. Bearstow had the gloves, was pushed up to five, six, etc. where actually he had a very good record as a keeper batter batting at seven. Mm. Um, he's almost, 
I agree with it's actually part, partially a victim of his own success, both with the white in the white ball game and also in his in that sort of period in 2017, I think it was when he scored a bucket load of test runs. Um, but but yeah, look, he's averaged 20 odd for for a couple of years now, and I think you have to get to a point where where you accept that you're one of the best players in the world as a white ball cricketer, and perhaps perhaps it's. I understood why they brought him back in for the winter. He's on paper very good. He's a very good player spinner. That said, he didn't pass 50 once. Even in Sri Lanka, when, when everyone said how well he played, he got a 47, I think. He got a 32. There were a couple but of... No... The, but there were a couple of innings where he was he was doing well in comparison to those around him, I think it's yeah. fair to say. Absolutely, yeah. And you, could, and you could see that he was a good player of spin. I think that was possibly the frustration. Um, well, I mean... That was probably the frustration that 2018 got in the Indus in the in the Indus test, where actually he played very well for his 28, really well. And then got a bit of a duff LBW off of Siraj that clipped the top of his back pad. Um, but does there come a time when you know maybe just say go and be the best white ball open in the world? Perhaps like, I, I don't see because I don't see how he gets back in in England, and so I don't necessarily see where he gets back in in the sort of near to medium term future. In comparison, the other three batsmen who uh, haven't had a particularly good series that you can sort of focus on, Sibley, Burns and Pope, I think it's slightly different in that these these those three have had a bad series in India, but it's obviously such different conditions than what they're going to probably be facing in the next, at least over the next few series, uh, that that shouldn't really affect their positions in the side, should it? Or uh, what do you think those players can sort of pick up going into the English summer? I think Burns is more under threat than perhaps people think. I think I think Burns is a county batsman having a very good start to the year away from having to look over his shoulder. Because actually Crawley has shown that he can open the batting. If they could find a, if, I don't know, if a I'm just going to pick a batsman off the top of my head here, but I was going to say someone like Chris Dan who scored runs at the top of the order for years um, but, there was, but he wasn't in the Lions squad so you're looking at um, one of those guys that's been in the recent Lions squad or was in the 55-man training squad and they came back from lockdown. If someone like someone in that group, group has a good start to the year and Burns doesn't, um, you know, then he'll be looking over his shoulder for sure. And But I think the other two are pretty secure. I, I'm a big Sibley fan and I'm a big, big Crawley fan as well. Can I just say about Crawley, I think he had a poor series against Spain. I mean, as most of them did. But in that half century, he did score in the pink ball test against Pace and I don't say this lightly, he timed the ball like prime Tendulkar. There was <laughs> that he did look very, very, very special at that point. Oh, he was he was Bradman for an hour. Like oh, it was incredible. incredible. That's it was incredible. That's the way he got off the, off the mark. mark. That, yeah, it was it was a defensive shot. I've I've not seen a batsman do that since Tendulkar. It was incredible. Whilst the walls of Jericho crumbled around him. <laughs> Uh, England's selection and rotation policy has been the uh, the latest uh, deer in the crosshairs of the uh, of the England fans on social media. First, it was the pitch. Now we turn to the selection and rotation uh, victim. Uh, it's a broad topic, and there are various reasons for it. Uh, but simple question: Has this rotation policy been correct, and has it? hampered England's chances Beth as, as I've said on previous episodes for me the rotation policy is absolutely correct for the reasons I've detailed before for mental health bubble life etc etc that is a no brainer and from my point of view full credit to the England management for that now selection 
is another matter. You know, within the rotation parameter constraints that you've got, how do you select? You can you can argue that they've not done that correctly. For me, a lot of it comes down to what is the England management and the England boards and the England coaching setups priorities this year. From a outside of looking in as an India fan, I can't figure out what England's priorities are this year. It's very opaque from my point of view. So and what the priorities are ultimately then dictate how you select it within within the constraints of a rotation policy. So I think a lot of the angst that's coming around the selection is more due to, from my point of view, more due to the fact that fans don't quite understand where the priorities lie. I think if if the management had come out and been very clear that we're prioritising X, Y, Z this year and this is going to take a back seat, I think people would be a bit more okay about it. But because that's not been the case, everyone's just left in the lurch. Is it worth saying when part of the reasoning for this selection and rotation policy is that England have multiple different players who are playing in different formats? Would it be simplified for them if they weren't trying to play so many players in different formats? Obviously, Moeen had been out of the test side for a long time and he's one of the few spinning options that England had, so it sort of made sense for him to be involved. But the case of Bairstow... Would it have made? Would it just make sense for them to be like T Twenty Cocoon? That's that's what he's doing this year, and try and less cover so many base with different players, and then having to rotate. Do you think? I think it's actually easier said than done, given the fact that some of England's best players in across formats are their multi-format players. You know, based though you can argue, yeah, you should have cocooned them as a white ball player. That's fine. But where do you go with Stokes? Where do you go with Archer? Where do you go with Root to some extent? That's a more difficult question. How do you? But for the ones for the ones where the question is is more obvious, like with the case of Moeen, I'd be surprised if they test this summer. But like making it clear, the ones that the ones that are more obvious don't have much as much of an impact. I think you know it's it's not as it's not as pertinent talking about them. I think ultimately you need to talk about the ones that are the the big players, the multi-format players, and. How do you manage them? They're the ones who are making the impact and call it making a difference. I think at the same time, like that's so hard to do, isn't it? Because if they ultimately, if England do decide to say that Johnny Bairstow is a white ball cricketer, you guaranteed there'd have been people saying that Johnny Bairstow should have been out of India. Actually, one of the greatest ironies of the entire winter was that this time last year, people didn't want Josh Butler in the test team. Then when he went home, you know, what a month ago, people were saying, why, where, you know, why is Josh Butler going home? Mo and Ali was you know people were being people have been calling for Moeen to be dropped the test side for years wasn't get wasn't back in the test side until Sri Lanka has a has a good test in India and suddenly people are pissed off that he's gone home so it's so hard for it's a it's very hard to satisfy everyone b if I take you back to if I take you back to I reckon it was what 2004 2005 Rafa Benitez took over as Liverpool manager talked about rotation Claudio Ranieri came to England talked about rotation English sport does not like the idea there was always skepticism around them. Ranieri became the tinker man, but Benitez took stick for it. The idea of not playing your best team. But how did he win the league, Ranieri, without ever changing his team? Well, yeah, yeah, God only knows. But he, but it's such a, but it's su- it's always been a thorny issue in throughout English sport. That's what I mean, and the, and that's that's not new to cricket. And actually, one of my biggest frustrations with people saying because we're England have been very clear with their priority. The one person they've been very clear on this year that they want to get through this year with their players intact yeah and so people people were spouting after two tests saying the rotation policy is not working well it is working and it will work that england will see it as a victory at the end of the year is if it their players are ready to go again in 2022 
fit and well and not drained by bubble life. Is it not true in a way? Is it not true that in a way it goes in two ways? Partly because cricket is such a mental sport, not like mad, but like in your head. (laughs) Uh, And with football, it's very much whenever there's a rotation policy, it's mainly around just keeping the players physically fresh in the main. Absolutely, absolutely. It's the same consequence, isn't it? There are. But in in ter- in turn, you don't want your players' brains melting down to mush by playing a load mm. of cricket. But will some fans not also be feeling that cricketers benefit f- mentally also in some ways from having a run in the side, which then benefits their cricket? Do you think that's also a a, a fair thing for people to raise? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think as Satch mentioned earlier, it, you know, India away is a massive tool, and I completely get. I, compl- I completely get it. Now, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way necessarily of, of going about this this winter. And and if no, and if, if rotation had been mentioned, people would never have said, why aren't they rotating the players? But this time next year, we might be wondering why we hadn't rotated our players. So there's there's the issue they've they've had to deal with through the whole year. And on top of that, um, on top of that, I mean, there people saying that you know why isn't the rest of the players in the T20 series? There the T20 series is eight days long. There were eight days between the second test and the third test. So it's not about priority. It's about how do you give these players the days to rest? And you can't give them the, num- the right number of days to rest by giving them eight days off for a T20 series because that's not sufficient, which is why they sent Butler home for three tests, which is why Sam Currington came out for four tests, which is why Bearstow and Wood went straight home after Sri Lanka and came back two tests later. And it's, where do you find the days? That's, uh- that's the issue. And all these players, and a number of these players are going to be back for the IPL in a month's time again yeah. in bubble conditions. Absolutely, and and they are professional sportsmen. They've got a limited shelf life, and a lot of them don't have test contracts. So what are you going to do? You're going to take away their, you know, their their income opportunity because um, because international cricket comes first. Um, it's you know, it's Eng- England will be better come the T20 World Cup for those players having played in the IPL. However, whether whether people view the T20 World Cup as a bigger prize than India away is an entirely different question. So there's there are so many nuances to this. I honestly don't think there's a right way or a wrong way, but I I do completely sympathise with a mental health first view. Ultimately, I think there was never going to be a winner from this from this rotation policy. England the England management could not win because this policy is fundamentally a damage limitation policy. It's an aversion, you're averting a negative as opposed to facilitate, facilitating a positive. The only way we could ever appreciate this rotation policy for what it is, is if it never happened and all the players got broken completely. And then we would have looked back on it, like you, like you said, Nick. Yeah. So it's one of those that the fans and the media are just not going to really quite understand what this policy is and, and the positives of it because it, 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 it's not positive, so to speak. Sorry to say, I was also very funny that you, it is natural to watch your to watch your team being battered, and wonder what the, what might have happened had you had your best players available. Yeah, absolutely. But Ollie, do you still think that the selection was? <laughs> well, I mean, let the record show that they picked the wrong players that were available. I think that's without a doubt. I don't think you can necessarily blame Joe Root for that necessarily. Well, I mean, you can because it was him that I suppose ultimately bit the team with Chris Silverwood. But, you know, for a pink ball test, I don't think you put too much blame on him because he wasn't to know how that pink ball would react and similarly what might happen in that fourth test where the pitch seems to be at a you know, complete different venue. But I don't think selection was great from the players that were available. Yes. 
amidst probably about 40 minutes of a load of analysis that we've had there, the the thing that I think everyone can say with some confidence that rather than just looking back on stuff with hindsight and saying, this should have been the selection, this should have been the rotation policy, ultimately England England came up short in India again and, and didn't, over the course of the series, adjust the batting conditions. And and I think that is the, the main key takeaway. But there was another side in this test series it's not all about England England Inglia that's what that's what such is like in England to become one day uh, <laughs> uh, Inglia just a load of fans running round kind of cheering on Coley whilst booing Joe Root that's that's your socialist republic in Liverpool dream such uh, there was another side <laughs> India uh, we've not gone as much into as much depth about India today because such has really plumbed the Mariana Trench worth of depth of, uh, of India over the past few weeks. But a few general things about India at the end of the series. How, such has this series shown where India are going and what are the sort of big takeaways? I think the big takeaway sort of leads nicely on from what you were saying and ties into England is that regardless of who England rotated and selected in and out of the team, I don't think they would have won anyway. You, no matter what 11 you pick from the 70 million strong population that is the UK, I don't think they were going to win regardless. So, and that is testament to the fact that India are just really bloody good at home. If, I think the big takeaway for me is the fact that they've won fairly comprehensively. I know it doesn't, the scoreline on paper doesn't necessarily reflect some bits that England do well, but fairly comprehensively. They've done that without the spine of their bat and three, four, five, Pujara of Kohli and Rahane really tearing up. So, you know, that, that's a big three players to kind of lose input from. And Gil didn't really turn up either. So that's, you know, that, that's your two, three, four, five. They've still won from contributions from Ashwin, who's potentially our greatest match winner in history. You've got Rishabh Pant, who's Rishabh does Rishabh. We've, we've talked plenty about him. And Rohit has carried on his... Bradman-esque, ridiculous form at home. And you've got players like Aksar who's come in, proved that he's, you know, he's, he's the modern-day George Loman with averages of about 11. And Washington Sundar, who was a netball who's decided to score runs for fun. It's 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 fantastic depth. And I think, I mean, something I want to talk, what I wanted to ask you, Nick, is kind of with all this depth and all the chat that has gone around about India, where do you see India going forward now? Or how, how do you see India in the kind of wider scheme of cricket after this series and the and that Australia one? I think the Australia one's more significant, isn't it? Because we know yeah. India can win in India. Um, I think the series in the summer will be fascinating because just the amount of depth and seam bowling ranks, let alone let alone with the bat. And um, and then you've got, you know, what do you do with Axar when, when Jadeja's fit again? And, um, you know, and Pan hopefully is now past that situation where he's being left out for Saha because he's a bit better with the gloves and um you know Gil could do with runs because because India one thing India are not short on his batting options but mm-hmm. but God he looks so good like I'd be devastated if it left him out for some plodder to come in. Like um <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um no they they are they they just look very well set to challenge just about everywhere they play in any conditions at the moment, don't they? I think similarly to the uh, to the Australia series, the the exciting thing and 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 the the sort of worrying thing for uh, the rest of uh, the rest of the uh, the countries in in who will come across India in the future 
is that it's it's all these players which have come in and stepped into the breach when Coley went back for his baby, when uh, mm. Rahane, Pajara and, uh, and, and Coley potentially haven't turned up in this series, when uh, Jadeja's been out. It's all of these randomers that have stepped in to sort of suddenly fill that void that just shows that this is an India side which just isn't going away anytime soon. As you said, Satch, Washington, Siraj, I mean, Pant has sort of finally really cemented his spot as a test player. But it's those players just stepping into the into the breach and playing like seasoned test pros and England couldn't deal with them. It, it was quite funny. I saw, a, I saw a quite funny tweet the other day from the Edges and Sledges cricket podcast on Twitter and they... They put out 22 players as two separate Indian Test 11s. Probably your first choice and your second choice Indian Test 11. My word, I don't know about abroad, but that team would be difficult to beat at home in Indian conditions, that Indian second Test 11. Now, at the Test level, at least, I think England have probably got this at, at, at the white ball level, but that level of depth at the Test level is probably unparalleled right now in the world. Um, and it's it, it you know and a lot of those lads are young as well which is even scarier because once your big guns who are in the 30s like Jadeja like Ashwin like Kohli and Rahane and Pujara once they go you've got players to, who hopefully will come in step in seamlessly you know and we, we, we talked before as well about these lads aren't afraid they've, they've been through the IPL they've been through high pressure situations this ain't gonna this ain't gonna phase them Two aspects to India's summer before the before the T20 World Cup. Firstly, first off is the uh, World Test Championship final, which we found out today is going to it's going to be at that I- iconic venue for world cricket, the Aegeus Bowl. Uh, how do India go about picking an eleven for that? It's against the ha- the New Zealand, Hampshire the Hampshire Bowl, indeed. Uh, what players do they go for? That's that's the that's the first issue at hand for them. Um, they go for their standard. First eleven, I think Axel Patel, despite the fact that he's had an incredible series, you, you don't you don't drop your danger. I tell you what, um, though, Satch, it would have been a BCCI conspiracy if they suddenly decided to locate it to Taunton, and then Axel <laughs> popping up. I tell you what, then we've got Axel, Jadeja, and Ashwin playing, and nobody's beating us there. No, I mean, well, to be fair, we don't even know if Jadeja might play. That's not even a given. Depending on the pick, he's more likely at the Rose Bowl than he is at Lords. Um, but I think I think Jadeja comes back in if we play two two spinners. Um, Axar gets dropped. Washington gets dropped as much as I love the lad. He gets dropped. Uh, I think Shami comes back in as much as Siraj has looked good. I think I think Shami comes back in for him. And you go for a pace attack of Bumrah, Shami, and Nishant. Um, and then the baton picks itself. I think Rohit he, he's in despite his frailties abroad. He's still probably our. He's, he's still he's got he walks in really. Um, like Nick said, I think. I think Gil will be given a chance. I'd, I'd be sad if he wasn't given a chance in that one-off test because he, he, he does look so good. good. Um, and you've got Pajara, Kohli, Rahane, that's standard pants in at six. And yeah, you know, if you go five ball strategy, then seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, we've discussed. And I think that's probably India's top, top, top eleven. Later this week, the T20 series will be back for all the fun stuff because Ollie's looking really sad on, on the Zoom that he's just had to sit here talking about test cricket for an hour. Really, what he wants is the 100 and the 120. That's what he's here for. We'll be back to a little bit more fun stuff. 
uh, come Friday. Where do we see the uh, the T Twenty series going? All to England, all to India. I, I think England will really fancy themselves, especially with no Bumrah. They're very they're very good. They, <laughs> it's weird. It's, it's it still feels odd as an England supporter to to really back your cricket team, doesn't it? But like, um, they're very very good, and a lot of they've all played in India. Um, well, the vast majority, anyway. I'd I'd back them. Oh gee. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I completely agree. I think I'm. I don't usually get that geared up for a limited over series because I suppose it's all geared towards World Cups and Champions Trophies or whatever. But this is going to be a just very exciting white ball series. I think in India, I'd, I'd say the two best limited over sides in the world going against each other. I agree. England will fancy themselves. Hell of a series. And let's. Be I think honest. what sets England apart, just briefly there, Beth. I think what sets England apart from the Indy team really is that mentality of that Bayless template. I think in, India probably could have the have the players to challenge England um, if they decided to pick them in the right way. But England's white ball mentality is just, it's just much better than India's. And, you know, I, I, I think England are definitely favourites in my eyes for this series, which is the, weird to say. The real problem for India is that the Indian players aren't weaned on the blast from a young age. Just think about how how good they'd be if they were they were on the decks at Gloucestershire, Northampton, kind of playing in front of four thousand potentially rather than the fifty thousand you might get at Bengaluru. Yeah, they, they've, they've got a hundred contract dangling in front of them. Obviously, that's for the problem. No, no. too much pressure. They need they need their sort of confidence to be massaged so they can do it on the on the big stage. Massaged by a string of uh, runnable tens in the blast, where mm. there isn't quite the same uh, same pressure uh, for places. Uh, but we've also got the IPL coming up. It's it's a busy, busy, busy uh, summer of cricket, and uh, we'll be here with you for the all of it. And I think. That's uh, that's all we've got time for uh, today, guys. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us and carving an hour out of your schedule. I hope that your body clock <laughs> is gradually uh, righting itself because this one-day series is a lot more friendly uh, to the English viewer's sleeping pattern. It is indeed. No, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. I hope I've said something of some use at some point. <laughs> oh, you won't see no, the edit, fantastic, Nick. Nick. <laughs> You won't see how much is cut down ruthlessly. <laughs> I was going to say, this is my only speaking part. Bad analysis, disagrees with me, cut. More disagreement, I'll cut that. Massage <laughs> Mark versus like ego, keep cut that. that. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll be back later in the week uh, with the uh, first T20 from India. Until then, I hope you have a nice time. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye. I hope you have a nice time. I hope you. Ha- I hope you have a nice. A strange time. way of signing off. <laughs>